Hello and welcome back. There will be spoilers, 100 films, 100 podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And we are back with number 22 on the AFI Top 100, 1959's Some Like It Hot. Some Like It Hot. Ethan, had you seen this movie before? No, I thought I had, but I had seen a myriad of other Marilyn Monroe movies, so. I haven't seen it either, and what's more, or maybe not even what's more, different altogether, I had heard about this film through another film podcast, forgot that I knew what this film was, and then sort of re-remembered parts of it through the telling of another podcast. Beautiful. Quite enthralling, I know, but what's even more enthralling than that? Plot synopsis. Plot synopsis. Plot synopsis. Plot synopsis. Plot synopsis. In honor of Marilyn Monroe today, I'm I'm going to be reading the plot synopsis. Like oh, we'll all this. enjoy this. No, I'm not really going to do that. Oh, it'll take, man. It'll take 20 minutes to do it that way. <laughs> Some Like It Hot is the story of musicians Joe and Jerry who lose their jobs when the speakeasy they play in is busted. Shortly after, they witness a St. Valentine's Day-style massacre in a garage and flee for their lives. Using a tip from Joe's sometimes girlfriend, the two pretend to be women in order to join an all-woman band heading to Florida. After joining the women on the train to Florida, a beautiful woman named Sugar Cane catches their eyes. The two men carefully compete for her love despite still being in drag. When they reach Miami, Joe pretends, he also pretends, I guess, to be a millionaire named Junior who claims to be the heir to Shell Oil. Meanwhile, Jerry is wooed by actual millionaire Osgood Fielding, who is both quite old and a mama's boy. Osgood indicates that he's been married many, many times. Jerry sees dollar signs, and after a night of tangoing, agrees to marry Osgood, assuming they will divorce immediately and Jerry will receive a cash payout. Junior, quote-unquote Junior, convinces Sugar that he can never love again, but if a woman were to arouse him, he could marry her. Sugar does her best to excite him, and the two enjoy a romantic evening. When Joe discovers Jerry's plan, he insists that Jerry can't go through with it on account of actually being a man, right? Because he's going to get married to a man. This is 1959. At the same time, the hotel where the men are staying is hosting a quote-unquote Friends of Italian Opera conference, which is actually a meeting of mafia bosses, and the mobsters that are after the two, of course, show up at the hotel. The two men try to escape, but end up hiding under the very banquet table that the mobsters are using. During the meeting, Spatz and his men, these are the guys that are after Joe and Jerry, are double-crossed and murdered. So after witnessing a second set of murders, the men flee, but not before Joe sees a heartbroken sugar and kisses her, revealing his secret identity. Jerry convinces Osgood to help the three of them flee on his yacht. Joe reveals his true identity to Sugar, and despite her aversion to saxophone players she decides to stay with him jerry reveals his true identity to osgood who declares as the film ends that nobody's perfect thing i don't get about this plan that they had they run into the banquet hall hide under the table spats colombo and all his men are killed not really in a double cross right it really is uh a retaliation of them killing Toothpick Charlie, right? Toothpick Charlie, right, who tips off the cops about... The funeral parlor speakeasy. Yes. Owned by Mr. Mozzarella. Mr. Mozzarella! And of course, the big mob boss is named Little Bonaparte. I can't say enough about how stereotypical those names are. Hey, I sleep in these spats. 
Yeah, he, he sleeps in them. That's why they're always so <laughs> clean. But in any case, they get killed. And Joe's like, let's get out of here right now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like you were completely in hiding underneath the table. Survived that's, the hail of bullets. Just hang out for another 20 minutes. That's true. If they had just chilled. But then, of course, it wouldn't be the zany comedy that it is. Exactly, because this is a French farce, even though it's American. Yes, it absolutely is. And I think that's to its advantage. I think so, too. It's fun. It moves quickly. People are doing a lot of costume changes. You get the what Scooby-Doo later parodies with people running in and out of doors (laughs) and missing each other, right? That's always fun. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely zany, and it is uh, fantastic for it, I think. I think it is better for its, uh, you know, sort of constant barrage of, of insanity. However, hot take time. I think Marilyn Monroe won a Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Comedy, or maybe it was even more subcategorized, okay. and a musical comedy. Okay. And that's frankly baffling to me. You think so? Do you think she's a good actress? Uh, I thought she was pretty funny in this movie. Uh, is she a good actress? It's hard to tell because she plays one character. And it's the same character in every Marilyn Monroe movie. Every single one. And I will say, this one at the very least is not quite a caricature of itself as some of her later ones. So I think of best actress or best actor awards, I think really well-performed <laughs> range of emotions and believable. They sort of disappear into the character. Not that everyone has to be Daniel day Lewis and actually <laughs> being the character, but Marilyn Monroe we're just laughing at her the whole time. She kind of is just a piece of comedy. Yeah. Not to mention really obvious objectification. She's there for people to ogle. Yeah. Even though the film is. tries to point that out, it's still doing that, right? It sort of falls in its own pitfall there. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so I was baffled. And a lot of times when they have her in a conversation, a dialogue with somebody, they'll cut just to her to where cynical Matt says, she just took this by herself because they had to do like eight or 10 takes. And they're like, I don't know, just have her do it at some point. Apparently she was (laughs) notoriously hard to work with on this film. A lot of days she would refuse to even leave the trailer and really didn't get along with Billy Wilder. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. And Billy Wilder, of course, has been on the podcast a few times. Yes. And and will be again. Yes. And uh, as has, um, what's his name? Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon. Jack Both, Lemon. of course, associated with The Apartment. Billy Wilder, director of The Apartment. Jack Lemmon starred in The Apartment. Double Indemnity was Billy Wilder. And we'll be oh, watching really? Sunset Boulevard sort of toward the top of the list. Double Indemnity was Billy Wilder? Yeah, weird, right? Oh. That, was, that was on the list, right? Yeah, that wasn't an extra one. Nope. So we have a noir film. The Apartment is kind of a comedy, but more of like a serial comedy. I don't know. I feel like there's some really heavy themes in that one. Mm-hmm. You've got a French farce and then Sunset Boulevard. Haven't seen, but I think it's a pretty hefty movie. Yeah, I think it is I think it is a drama. So some range there. Yeah. Unlike our friend Marilyn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being harsh, I guess. No, I think I'm kind of with you. I mean, it, she really just does the one thing and it's it's fun, but is it best... 
actor mater- best actor best actress material i'm i'm not i'm not sure either isn't someone in the film say finally some eye candy at one point yes i think so and really it's kind of meta because Marilyn Monroe is really there to be eye candy yeah yes in pretty obvious ways so like we have a swimming scene You're like okay mm-hmm or, I mean, and these gratuitous shots of her walking, and then the boy, the boys are like, wow, how does she walk like that? So that they can get another shot of her butt as she walks. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. yeah. It, I, it's pretty it's pretty laid bare, I think, what, what's going on in this film. And I'll say I was pretty opposed to the film starting out. Just how it begins and how our two characters are kind of jerks, and they're both... To different degrees. I think Joe is far more of a womanizer than than Jerry. Jerry. I was gonna say Jack, <laughs> you know, the actor's name. But I think there is some movement throughout the film, right? We get sort of an arc here. A little bit, yeah. I mean, it is the smallest of arcs. Who would you wager has the biggest arc in the film? Um in terms in terms of growth or development. I don't know, that's hard. I, Joe and Jerry I guess maybe at the end of the day, Jerry appears to be okay with Entering into a May December a homosexual relationship with a millionaire, um, and I think that would be quite a quite a jump from for him. Uh, but I do think that maybe we're supposed to follow Joe's arc, which where he goes from being this sort of the womanizer that Marilyn Monroe, sus- you know, suspects he will be, uh, suspects that all saxophone players will be, uh, and then at the end we get him sort of pledging himself to her. But do I really buy that he's done? I mean, I don't. <sighs> right. That that would be my counter argument there in that they both have admissions, pretty honest ones themselves, that Marilyn Monroe's character, Sugar, says that she always falls into the same cycle with sax players. It starts out hot and heavy. They're totally in love. And then before you know it, they're throwing coleslaw at her face. Right. And Joe doesn't seem very different in his actions toward women. So it's hard to say that their pattern won't just repeat, which Mm -hmm. might be an interesting commentary on the film's part because the amount of womanizing that goes on in the film is is, is a lot, right? But it's Mm -hmm. it's intentional and it's to show like the this how society is structured to take advantage of women. Mm -hmm. It's a very contemporary thing. And I'm not convinced that the film is entirely bought into, isn't this fun how men are abusing women? I think it's trying to say something against that. So Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I do get the sense that the film is trying to sort of push us towards a, a sort of like shocking revelation that women are taken advantage of and are treated, you know what I mean? Um, the film, unfortunately, though, engages in so much of that at the same time you know what i mean it, it's yeah. it, it is hard to sort of uh, but again this is maybe this is maybe a difference in uh cultural context right maybe but i also think there's something pretty significant in the fact that i think that osgood and jerry's relationship will last longer than sugar <laughs> and joe's <laughs> and i think we have evidence for that in the film i think the person who has the biggest arc to answer my earlier question for myself. Is Osgood? I think it's Osgood. Osgood Fielding the Third. Oh, no. He goes from this horrible womanizer, tries to uh, assault Jerry in the elevator. Oh, yeah. 
and takes her slap as further, you know, warranting further advances. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But at the end, he's saying all these things like, oh, I'm not a natural blonde. I smoke. Uh, I was living as a sax player for three months. And everything he says as a response is just like, it kind of seemed a different light. Yeah. Of course, the very famous nobody's perfect line (laughs) is good. But he's saying, oh, I lived with a man for three months. And he's like, I forgive you. And it's just like he's ready to go forward in this relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel I feel kind of positive about that at the end. <laughs> I I mean, yeah, I think that we can we we can see that in a in a more you know progressive sort of light. Although it, it also kind of sounds like Osgood's um, all of his relationships are like that. He's okay with whatever because he's just going to divorce him anyway. Maybe you're right. I don't know. It's yeah. I mean, it's it, at the end of the day, everybody, everybody grows maybe a little, but maybe not at all. <laughs> I do have a pivotal scene for us, though. Yes. What this happens mean? about an hour and a half in, so super late. This is after Jerry gets back from his tango night, and Joe gets back from oh, his romantic yeah. encounter, and they have this conversation where Jerry, as Geraldine, is like, "I think I'm going to do this." Daphne. Daphne. Sorry, <laughs> Geraldine was the initial name that he disposed of went for Daphne instead which was kind of funny because like why is that necessary <laughs> like why I didn't know. you just pick a name and Joe's all mad like you're supposed to be Geraldine it's like well who cares <laughs> well and I, I mean I think we are supposed to get that that Jerry likes being a woman a little bit yeah absolutely he at least likes to be in drag who knows if he likes to be a woman entirely but we can infer that he's enjoying well there's little things that push against that right in in the film and the pivotal scene that I'm about to give us starts with Joe coming in and Jerry talking about what a great night he's had. And they're talking about their honeymoon, where they'll go. And it ends with Joe telling him, you have to like keep thinking you're a boy, you're a boy, you're a boy. Mm-hmm. And even in 1959, I think there's something really interesting going on in that they are reinforcing gender stereotypes and norms and Jerry's still kind of pushing against that. And I think yeah. that maybe is the opening for that final minute where he's talking to Osgood and thinking, like, maybe this can work, right? There's all sorts of interpretation you can do mm-hmm. about how Jerry's seeing this. It's like, oh, just a French farce, and I guess it's you know, it's not going to work out. I'll have to find some other way to get out of this zany situation. Two men, can you believe it? Mm-hmm. Or it could be a serious introspection and think, like, huh. So let's listen to the scene, and we can yes. talk more about it. Hi, Jerry. Everything under control? Have I got things to tell you? What happened? I'm engaged. Congratulations. Who's the lucky girl? I am. What? Osgood proposed to me. We're planning a June wedding. What are you talking about? You can't marry Osgood. You think he's too old for me? Jerry, you can't be serious. Why not? He keeps marrying girls all the time. I am. But you're not a girl, you're a guy. And why would a guy want to marry a guy? Security. Jerry, you better lie down. You're not well. Will you stop treating me like a child? I'm not stupid. I know there's a problem. I'll say there is. His mother. We need her approval. But I'm not worried because I don't smoke. 
Jerry, there's another problem. Like, what are you going to do on your honeymoon? We've been discussing that. He wants to go to the Riviera, but I kind of lean towards Niagara Falls. Jerry, you're out of your mind. How are you going to get away with this? I don't expect it to last, Joe. I'll tell him the truth when the time comes. Like when? Like right after the ceremony. Oh. Then we get a quick annulment, he makes a nice settlement on me, and I keep getting those alimony checks every month. Jerry, 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 listen to me. Listen to me. There are laws, conventions. It's just not being done. Shh, Joe. This may be my last chance to marry a millionaire. Jerry. Huh? Jerry, will you take my advice? Forget about the whole thing, will you? Just keep telling yourself you're a boy. You're a boy. I'm a boy. So I think this is really the best evidence I have for a change in Jerry at the end where he might entertain this homosexual relationship. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's for the best. Maybe that's great for him. You know, maybe that's actually a fit that he uh, needs. And we could also, well, he has this strong attraction to women, but you can do all sorts of it. You know, you can say that perhaps he's bisexual. Perhaps mm-hmm. he is also just conforming to all these other men in this film who are constantly verb- verbally or physically sexually assaulting women, mm-hmm. and he's just playing the game, right? I think there's an, a real interesting critique you can do with a film like this. You know, I think you're on to something, and I think that the way that this film plays with how easily these gender roles can be... Uh, swapped inhabited shaken off embodied um and and perhaps internalized is is pretty sort of forward-thinking progressive uh and, and pretty interesting because that you're i think you're right jerry in particular does have to con- have he's got to remind himself he's a boy right um and they're only we can understand that they've only been in drag a few days right mm-hmm. and so I, I think that this film does kind of make a commentary on the fact that these gender roles are are silly and easily changed. Right. There is something paper thin about gender roles or stereotypes when if you're in drag for two days, you have a complete reversal of thought. Right. That seems incredibly powerful. Yeah. So I also think, to, by way of some kind of thesis for this film, that this film is pushing against a lot of boundaries for 1959, Although I think it does so often tongue in cheek, mm-hmm. but I think beyond that, it shows a beginning to a whole genre of swapped gender roles, reversed positions. Not to say that it originated the concept, but I think right. it made possible for future American or non-American films. It, well, I think at least it's more, I'm more confident saying that American films certainly are allowed to be made like this. There's a whole cornucopia of films we'll get to in our three questions that are inspired by this one very clearly. Some of them we've already seen, in fact. Well, and this film, from what I understand, the brief reading I did about it, it, it does come right at the end of the film code era. Um, and, and I did read that there are people that argue that it is the film or one of the films that really does kind of put the nail in the coffin for this sort of film codes and all of that because it just did so well. Um, and it, and it really, you know, it didn't, it didn't conform. It shits all over the codes, right? It's got men, you know, it's got men tangling men and men grabbing other men's asses and this and that and whatever. Right. 
begins with a horrific scene of mob violence. Right. Yeah. Those they shoot the fuck out of those people. Yeah. I mean, it's not really a camel that broke the straw's back. More of like the tree that fell on the camel. Yeah. Of the so. codes. Well, what do you say if we turn to our three questions here, Ethan? Yeah, let's do it. So, what do we owe to this film? Oh, geez. Uh, you know, this is a zany comedy in the vein of many other zany comedies we've seen, although this one really is like balls to the wall, flat out. You know, every second is a new beat and a new joke. Uh,. Yeah, so I think that even just that sort of mode of being, right? Um, all right, maybe not mode. I guess genre would be more uh, appropriate. I I think that there are a lot of films that owe that sort of silliness to this film. Also, I thought a lot about White Christmas when I watched this film. Okay. Yeah. Did Did you think the same thing? No, I didn't actually. I'm sure just coming to this now, I'm thinking through it. White Christmas has a, a very, you know, it's not the whole film, but it's a pretty similar set of characters and plots. They have the men in drag for a little bit, wooing the sisters. Um, it's vaguely, well, that's a musical. This is musical ask. Right. I don't know how I missed that. I mean, we watched it for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I do have a list here of of films that I think I would say it's a shorter list because clearly it's yeah. incomplete. Yeah. But some of the things that we would not have, and I'm, you know, just I'm certain of this. We would not have these films without the ones. We wouldn't have these films without this one. So, Tootsie, obvious. Yeah, yes. Yes. Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh yeah. La Cage aux Folles. What's that? The American adaptation was the birdcage oh okay okay yeah she's the man of course of course and white chicks yeah oh my god you're right what big mama's house too is another one right yeah it's like the same it's the same sort of setup uh because i think he's a cop that has to go in in hiding it's been a long time Mm -hmm. since i've seen it yeah i i think you're right i think that this film really is and i mean again as you've pointed out the the cross-dressing sort of su- plot and i was going to say subplot but it really is a plot uh is is certainly not new to this film um it's very shakespearean in its approach but i do think that this really does put it in this very american context yeah context setting whatever yeah i and and i think you're right all these other silly sort of cross-dressing american movies are are in debt to this film yeah i think they're even i'll go even farther and say they're spawned by this film because mm-hmm. of the success of this film and how funny it was at the time. We'll get to if it's still funny now. But I also want to play this question the other way. We usually don't do this for the AFI Top 100. We usually mm-hmm. do this for our bonus episodes. But you mentioned Shakespearean, Twelfth Night, obviously, figures yeah. very prominently into this genre. Yeah. And Roger Ebert, in his review, also talked about the importance of being earnest mm-hmm. with all the characters, you know, switching identities, moving about. And I think jam those two plays together, you do get a lot of the DNA for some like it hot and there's other things i think that are kind of fun metatextually that this film is playing with for instance all of the cop mafioso mm-hmm. dialogue is like super snappy but also incredibly corny mm-hmm. and it's like they're playing off some of the noir elements of, of oh, dialogue absolutely. there and of course joe's millionaire persona did you recognize who he was no 
Cary Grant. Oh, you're right. Oh, my God. That's why he's doing that weird voice. It makes total sense now. Oh, my God. He's being Cary Grant. How great is that? That's fantastic. How I was trying to, I was like, is he trying to be Australian? What is he doing? Well, it's interesting because when he first starts doing the voice, I thought like, this voice is kind of odd. And I was, it kept going on. I thought, it's a little Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. And then I have a note a little bit later. It says, no, no, it is, it is Cary, Grant. Cary Grant. Yeah. And evidently Billy Wilder never got to work with Cary Grant. So it was kind of like catching it's, that white whale a bit by right. having Tony <laughs> Curtis impersonate Cary right, Grant. Right. Oh my God. That's funny. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're spot on. I, yeah. So there's a lot of fun things going on there as well, but we should turn to our second question. Mm-hmm. Does this film hold up? I, I think aside from the pretty rampant sexism, uh, in a lot of ways it really does it's it's very well paced uh it, it looks good i mean it's not any they're not doing anything terribly fancy with cinematography or mise-en-scene or anything like that but it's it's good the shots are fine the, you know i i think that yeah i think it holds up again there's some uncomfortable sexual stuff with you know with the treatment of women and and that sort of thing that I don't know would fly exactly in the same way today. It's hard because I feel like it's being pointed out as satire, but then I always have that difficulty with you point it out as satire, but if you're also still doing it, is the movie writing against it or is it writing for it? I always think it's a tough relationship. Yeah, and I think that this film is. I think it's. I do think it's trying to maybe make a, a comment on that, but how much? How what can you? It's nineteen fifty nine. I'm willing to cut it a little bit of slack as being nineteen fifty nine because it it does do a couple of other things that are that are interesting, um, and it and it's trying. I think. I think where I'm landing now is you've got the bellhop. And early Osgood, as clearly the film is pointing these out as terrible people. Yeah. I think these are deplorable action. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But then you also have Marilyn Monroe centered in such a way, dressed in such a way, positioned in such a way, that she is an object for the viewer's gaze. Mm -hmm. Which I don't think the film is writing against that. I think it's buying into that for um, a fiscal... Mm-hmm. So I think it is a mixed review in that regard. But despite all of that, I think the film speaks to a modern moment, our contemporary moment, in fact, with violence against women, verbal or physical. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to look at this film and say, they're thinking about this. Why is it now, geez, how many years? 60? Yeah. <laughs> that this is still not fully addressed. So I think that can be an interesting tool to look through or an interesting lens to look through, but you're right. I think plot largely holds up as a French farce and there's nothing really fantastic about cinematography. Although I will say, I didn't notice that Tony Curtis, he's dubbing all of his lines when he's doing Josephine. I thought so. I thought it wasn't his voice. It's a mix of his voice and someone else's. Apparently he just like couldn't sustain the voice. Oh, because I thought there there were a few moments where I was like, I don't think that's him. Yeah, so that is one thing that maybe you can see the seams a little bit, but I don't think largely too bad. So, third and final question, Ethan. Yes. 
do we care about this film? Yeah, I think so. I, and I do think that, you know, I've seen several Marilyn Monroe movies and I think this one stands out as, as one of the, one of the better ones, if not one of the best. Again, I haven't seen all of her films, uh, but this one's pretty good. It's pretty, pretty funny. And it's aside from, you know, some of the more blatant sexism, it's a lot of stuff that just has been, it's been mined and mined and mined and redone and reused and, and it's still funny. I mean, I, we, Liv and I were sitting there laughing our asses off. It was really funny. And I think that when you have a movie that, that especially a comedy that can hit just about all the right beats, it's, it's really hard to not care about it because there are so many, so many, so many comedies that don't, that are just fine, right? But when you have a really, truly excellent one, uh, I, I think it, it's worth caring about because it gets imitated, but here's the thing I'm frequently coming up against as we get higher and higher on the list. I think, for all the reasons we mentioned in our three questions, this is a movie we care about. Mm-hmm. But 22 is up there, man. 22 is up there. I, I, I think you're right. Were there better films on the list than this movie? Probably. At least personally speaking. You know, we didn't really know how a list like this is decided anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's just something I think that becomes more and more... Yeah. present to me as we get higher and higher up yeah in the more rarefied air of films is i mean this would be a good question is jaws a better movie than this movie yes i i think so too well that'll set to be a standing question for us i we're think out of so time today but we will be back next time on the afi top 100 list with 1974's chinatown chinatown i have not seen this one i haven't seen it very much looking forward to it. I think it is a noir in color. Very controversial. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to find out, is it better than Jaws? <laughs> but until then, <laughs> I've been Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. I always get the spoilers end of the lollipop. There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder, who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight, and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast, and you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers.